0: Good morning. We're going to be in Matthew chapter, uh, not Matthew, sorry. We're not going to be in Matthew this morning. We're going to be starting out in First Peter uh, chapter 1. Um, we've been going through and uh, throughout this year kind of focusing our minds once a month on different promises that God has given to us. Uh, and so we're going to be talking about the last of the promises that we'll be studying this year. There's more promises uh, that, that I didn't really have time to bring in. Of course, God's promises are more numerous than any of us have probably counted before, but uh, these, these 12 have been fun to me uh, to look at, to study, to be thinking about, uh, to remind us of all the good things that God wants to give to us. Uh, you know, and all the crazy things that have gone on in the last couple years, Uh, we need this as a constant reminder. Our God is good, and he wants to give us wonderful, great things. Uh, And he has promised that he will do that. And in some cases, he's already given us tremendous blessings, and we don't even realize it uh, because we just haven't taken the time to study and to see what God has given to us. Uh, But today we're going to be talking about uh, another promise, That is the promise of an inheritance. And this is kind of an interesting promise to look at. Uh, It's a big promise. I mean, an inheritance is this picture of giving somebody everything. You know, typically uh, we know of an inheritance as our our relative passes away and everything that they own is no longer theirs because they're in the grave, they can't take it with them. And it goes to other people. And so we might receive an inheritance from a a relative that passes away. But God promises to give us an inheritance. Isn't that fascinating to you that that we have an inheritance? And and you think about that. God's going to give us an inheritance. You know, an inheritance is something that we're excited about, we're living for. If you lived back in the Old Testament, New Testament, inheritance has meant a lot. You know, this is basically going to be your livelihood uh, once your, your father passes away, they give the inheritance and this is going to be yours and then you're going to pass it on to your children. It was something that they would have enjoyed and, and uh, relished and, and been excited about receiving. But how is it that God is going to give us an inheritance? Is God going to pass away? Of course not. You know That's not really the picture at all of the inheritance that he promises to give us. But let's read again what he says. If you're there in 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Stop right there. So take all that in. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope. That's the way he talks about uh, the, the promise here. There's a living hope that we have through Jesus because Jesus has been resurrected from the dead. He is always living at the right hand of God. We have a living hope through Jesus. And then he parallels that living hope, says born again to a living hope, In verse 4, he parallels it by saying, To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. So because Jesus lives, we believe that we will receive what God has offered, and it is an inheritance that he is giving to us. It is an inheritance that is imperishable, that is, it never is destroyed, it never goes away, it never runs out, it is undefiled, that is, it's uncorrupted, Uh, there's nothing evil about it, it is unfading, it lasts and lasts and lasts and it never grows old, it's not something that we get tired of, it's not as exciting a few years down the road, It is always something that is there and always something that is glorious. Wow. What a picture. He says, that is our living hope. And that is our inheritance. Then he tells us, it is kept in heaven for you. So we have an inheritance Not that we receive after our father dies, but that we receive after we die. It's kept in heaven for us. It's waiting for us. Well, what what does all of this mean? Why is he telling us that we have an inheritance? Did you know that this is something that God has promised to give to his people from a long, long time ago? He made this promise back in the Old Testament. Uh, that he would provide an inheritance. You remember at the beginning, uh, God brought man into the garden and it was this beautiful place and he he wanted to give them everything, an imperishable, undefiled, unfading blessing for them to enjoy forever. But instead they chose sin and then the only thing that men inherited (laughs) after Adam and Eve's sin is knowledge of good and evil, sin and the curse. The same curse that was on Adam was put on every man going down the line, and that's what we inherited from our forefathers. But then God steps in in chapter 12 to Abraham, and he tells Abraham, I want to bless you. And you remember the three promises that God makes to Abraham. He makes the the nation promise. I will make you into a great nation. Abraham didn't even have a child. I'm going to make you into a great nation the land promise, I'm going to give you all this land of Canaan, uh, and it's going to all be yours, a land flowing with milk and honey, and then the blessing promise, that through your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And God promises that Abraham would receive all these blessings, that he would receive this huge portion of land that he would then hand down to all of his descendants. And what's really fascinating in that story is Abraham Believes God, he believes in the promises of an inheritance that he's gonna be able a heritage he's gonna be able to pass down, he leaves everything behind and he comes into that land, and he dies before owning a single foot, a single square foot in the land. It's fascinating. The inheritance doesn't come in his lifetime. <laughs> But he does have a son, and after him, he will have a great nation, and they will inherit the land, and God will bring them in. And all of those blessings, all those promises will happen. But Abraham himself believed God would provide this inheritance after he died. But what's also fascinating is in the book of Hebrews, we read that Abraham was looking forward to a city whose designer and builder is God, a city that has foundations. And that was going to be something that he would be given, even though the promises didn't really mention anything about that. The Hebrew writer tells us Abraham was looking forward to that day when he would receive this wonderful inheritance after the life was over, that he would receive the city, that he would receive the land, that he would receive the blessings, all would be given to him because God had promised it to him. What a wonderful idea. He didn't receive it in this life, but he believed he was going to get it even after this life was over. As we move through the Old Testament, we see that the promise uh, was believed on by some, but it was given up on by many. Isaac had two sons, Jacob and Esau. Esau was the oldest, but Esau gave up on the promise. He decided it would be better to eat a bowl of stew than to to have the inheritance that was promised to Abraham. Why? Because they still didn't own any land yet. (laughs) The inheritance didn't seem tangible. It didn't seem like something he could really receive and enjoy at the moment. And so he gives up on it. And he allows his brother to take all of the inheritance for himself. And then we read about Jacob having sons, uh, the 12 sons of Israel. Jacob's name is changed to Israel And we read about them not getting the land either, but they come into Egypt as slaves and Joseph saves them from dying. And then we read about a very interesting story about Joseph believing in the promises and saying, I want you to take, or Jacob believing in the promises and saying, I want you to take my bones with you into the promised land whenever the Lord gives it to you. So there's this mixture of people giving up on the promise and people believing in the promise. And whenever we get to Numbers, we see all Israel being brought out of Egypt and brought into this uh, to the edge of the promised land. And God said, this is your land. You're gonna, I'm going to give it to you as I promised Abraham. And they don't believe in God. <clears throat> they refuse to trust God enough to go in and to conquer the land and to receive it as their inheritance. And so instead, the majority of them die in the wilderness. And then he goes on to give the remnant their inheritance. The promise that was made to Abraham does go to descendants of Abraham. They enter the land, they conquer the land, and they fill the land just as God had promised, so he delivered. So after that happens... Uh, we read about them living in the land for a thousand thousand years or so, and you're wondering, why are we talking about all this? Well, what's interesting is, later on, they lose it again. Once again, they give up on the promises, and they lose the inheritance, and it goes to foreign people, Lamentations 5.2, Our inheritance has been turned over to strangers, our home to foreigners, and we're like, well, why did God give it if later on it's just going to take it away? But God has something else in mind. It turns out all of that, the promise of the land, the receiving of the land, the losing of the land, was an image for us to understand that we need something else. We need a different kind of inheritance. And so God goes on from that point and he tells us, that he is going to give the offspring an inheritance again. He's taken the the, the inheritance away, and he says, I'm going to give it to you again. We go to Isaiah chapter 65, and we read about this very interesting promise where he says, as the new wine is found in the cluster, and they say, do not destroy it, for there is a blessing in it. So I will do for my servants' sake and and not destroy them all, I will bring forth offspring from Jacob and from Judah, possessors of my mountains. My chosen shall possess it, and my servants shall dwell there. He says, I'm going to bring descendants of Jacob, offspring of Jacob, and they're going to possess my mountain again. There's going to be another inheritance that's going to be given to them again after they've lost it. But there's more to that. If you keep going in Isaiah 65, you read about that that new mountains, the the inheritance that's now going to be given, and this is what he says about it. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind, but be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. You see in this promise that he makes, he says, I'm gonna give them a new heaven's And a new earth. And those former things are going to pass away. Uh, You're not even going to remember those things because this new heavens and new earth is going to be given and they're going to be rejoicing forever and they're not going to be weeping or crying or in distress any longer. This is a promise that God makes to his people. He calls it Jerusalem. But this is a promise that he makes to them that they will come into this new land, that they will possess it, and that it will last forever forever. Another picture is in chapter 66. It says the same thing about the new heavens and new earth. As the new heavens and new earth that I make shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your offspring and your name remain. For new moon and, to new moon, from, new, from Sabbath to Sabbath, all flesh shall come to worship before me, declares the Lord. So there's a picture here of a promise that God wants to give another inheritance to the offspring uh, that is imperishable, that is undefiled, and that is unfading. And that's the picture in that promise that was made in Isaiah 66. And we say, well, is that promise fulfilled? You look through time, you see the Babylonian captivity happened after Isaiah, the people come back into the land, and they're never given the promised land in the way that's described. It doesn't it's not a new creation. It's not a new heavens. It's not a new earth. It's not totally transformed and land flowing with milk and honey. It's the same desert place it's always been. But whenever Jesus comes onto the scene, the Messiah comes in, he says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. The very first sermon Jesus preaches, he points to the promise of another inheritance that is not the inheritance of the land of Canaan and the land of Israel, but is an inheritance of the earth. you ever looked at that text and kind of scratched your head and said, what is he talking about? How how are we going to inherit the earth, you know? Um, Most most people's understanding is you die, you go to heaven, Uh, there is no more earth, you know? So why does he say you will inherit the earth if there's no more earth? Well, I guess there's going to be something like an earth, a new earth, that Jesus is saying those who are blessed will inherit uh, in in the kingdom of God. So interesting idea. New heaven, new earth is promised. This is the promised land that is the inheritance of God's people and that it will be provided to them. If they've received the blessing that Jesus offers. As we go throughout the New Testament, we read more about uh, the offspring of Abraham receiving an inheritance. We read about it a lot. Uh, But what's fascinating is, you know, as we read through this, we might think, well, I'm not an offspring of Abraham. You know, I'm not a, a Jew. I'm not an Israelite. I'm not connected to those promises. I'm a stranger of the promises that were made in the Old Testament because I'm a Gentile is what what the Bible calls us. But what we see as we go over to Galatians, if you want to turn there, uh, Galatians chapter 3, in verse 26, he's talked a lot in Galatians 3 about uh, the idea of the the Judaism, the Jewish promises, the promise of... uh, Salvation, the promise of an inheritance. Uh, in verse 18, he says, uh, If the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. There he's trying to, to make the point. Uh, there is an inheritance. It is not received through the law, but it is received because of the promise that God has given us. And so there's still a talk about a promise there, uh, that the offspring of abraham would receive and then we learn that we can all be offspring of abraham look at verse 26 it says uh verse 25 now that faith has come we're no longer under a guardian for in christ jesus you are all sons of god through faith for as many of you as were baptized into christ have put on christ There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. There's a a, a promise that's made in the Old Testament that the offspring of Abraham would inherit the land. And now he brings all people in, and says it doesn't matter your nationality or who your literal father is, but those who have faith, who follow in the faith of Abraham, are offspring of Abraham, and they too will inherit the the land. They will inherit the, the promise, blessing that God wants to give. It's not through the law. It's not through keeping the law that we become offspring of Abraham. There was no law when Abraham was on the earth. The law hadn't been given yet. But Abraham believed in God's promises. He trusted that God would deliver the things he said that he would deliver. He left his homeland and he went into a place he did not know. And he lived a very difficult life. Seemingly not receiving the promises but he inherited them. He he gained them and passed them on to his descendants who took the land after he had died. So here we see that those who have the faith of Abraham, those who are baptized into Christ and are put on Christ, are Abraham's offspring, receiving the blessing that was promised to Abraham through your offspring. All the nations will be blessed. And those of us who believed and trusted in and submitted to the gospel had that inheritance waiting for us as offspring of Abraham. And it's not an inheritance of Israel and the, the land over there and Jerusalem, the, the city that's over there across the, the, the globe from us, but it's a living hope that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. How is a new earth kept in heaven? I don't know. Um, It's just what it says. I'm just saying what it says. But there's a promise here that we have a living hope that is available for all who have the faith of Abraham. Abraham who put their trust that God is going to deliver his promises. And so this is why I say this till the end. This is kind of a bigger idea of understanding why we need the promises of God and why we need to believe in and trust in all the promises of God and, and to say that this is our hope. This is what we're living for. If you go back to 1 Peter chapter 1. You see, uh, according to his great mercy, he calls us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, verse 5, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. See, this text is just all about the idea of we're rejoicing because even though we're going through trials now, we have faith in the promises to come. That God is going to give us exactly what he told us he will give us. That there is an inheritance that is waiting for us. When this life is over, it's kept in heaven. Nobody's touching it. Nobody's going to defile it. No, nothing bad will happen to it. It is there and we know it because God said it is there. And so as we endure trials with faith that God is still good, That he is still going to deliver on all the promises that the treasure is still in heaven waiting for us. We know that it's there. We believe and we endure. You see how important the promises of God are to help us in our daily walk and the things that happen on this earth. It's all just walking through fire to be refined until the last day when the Lord returns And we rejoice in his returning with joy that is inexpressible. I love that picture. Because even though we haven't seen him yet, we believe that he's there and that he loves us. I'd like for you to have a picture of the inheritance. And and turn with me over to Revelation chapter 21. This is very fascinating as we've read in the Old Testament this promise of a new heavens and a new earth. In the New Testament, we're told about it. Uh, after the final judgment takes place in Revelation chapter 20, when we come into Revelation chapter 21, John is shown a new heaven and a new earth. The very thing that was promised back in Isaiah, the inheritance that is going to be given to those who are the offspring of Abraham. In verse 1, it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. Then I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband, For the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of of the water of life without payment to the one who conquers. Which is the second death. What a contrast. First of all, the picture of the new heavens and new earth is that God is with them. God lives with them. He is wiping away every tear. That's just like the most beautiful picture. uh, That the tears will be there, but they'll be wiped away. So, no more tears in heavens, the song we sing because. God is going to wipe them away. There will be no more pain. There will be no more suffering. It's, it's all gone. It's all taken care of by God. Those things passed away with the old heavens and the old earth. In the new heavens and the new earth, all these things will be taken care of because he makes all things new. First Corinthians 15 tells us we have a new body that is waiting for us, that is an imperishable body. Uh, that, that is, is immortal, that uh, doesn't suffer from the same things. In First John it tells us it will be like Jesus' body. I don't know all the details of any of that, but it's all new and it's all immortal and it's all glorious and it's all being provided for those who believe in the promise that God is giving them right here. And those who are waiting for the day when they get to inherit that blessing as the offspring of Abraham. So the question for us is, and there's a sense in which, as uh, we've talked about before, we we already have that. It's a living hope. There's a new Jerusalem that is kept in heaven. That's waiting for us. That is ours if we believe and we are a part of the offspring. But this, I think, is telling us there's a sense in which we will fully experience and we will come into that new heavens and new earth, and. All the old struggles will go away. What a beautiful picture that is. But at the end here, he contrasts it with those who are cowardly, those who are faithless, detestable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and liars. He says they're not going to receive this. The inheritance is not for them. In our world pretty much tells us this inheritance is for everybody. It doesn't matter who you are, what you've done, uh, what you believe. Heaven is for all people, everywhere, in every situation. Friends, I'm sorry, that's just not true. It's for those who believe in Jesus. Jesus. And by believing, I mean they put their trust in him and they submit their will to God's will. Saying, I will do what God wants me to do, not what I want to do. And that's the decision that we all have to make in order to receive this inheritance. We must make that decision and we must put away cowardly living. We have to be bold. That one's just shocking. It starts off with cowardly uh, We must put away faithlessness, put away anything detestable that we're engaged in, murdering, hopefully there's nobody here who's murdering, but uh, anger and malice and wrath against other people, sexual immorality, sorcery, idolatry. We have to put away lying. Lying is not okay in the kingdom of God. For those who are submitting their will to God's will, they don't lie. They tell the truth. And they all receive that inheritance that's waiting for them. And if you've received that inheritance, if you have put on Christ and you're blessed uh, in Christ, we also read, you better be careful that you're not like Esau who gave up the inheritance For a bowl of soup. You can give it up. You can lose it. Some root of bitterness might spring up. And cause you to to pursue selfishness in in this world. And lose hold of the imperishable inheritance that's waiting for you. So don't don't let that be you. Uh, If you're here this morning. You can make the change right now. Uh, You can... Uh, grab back onto the imperishable inheritance that is kept in heaven waiting for you. God's hand is extended towards you and all you have to do is be willing to accept the grace that he has given to you and submit your will to his will. Whatever that means for you. Repenting of all those sins that you've engaged yourself in. Uh, Confessing that you believe Jesus is the son of God and not living a cowardly life of disbelief but living a life of bold proclamation. If you haven't submitted to baptism yet, you need to do that. You need to be baptized into Christ to have all your sins forgiven and washed away. And if we can help you in any way to receive that, we want to help you. Please come as we stand and as we sing.